The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. In my previous church in Iowa long time ago, 1988 to 1998, there was a man who came up to me and said, Pastor, we need a vision to unite everybody uh, in this church together. And, uh, and then he said, here's what we need. We need a building program. We've never been more united than when we built the Christian education wing of the church. And um, actually, the rest of the story there is probably one of my failings in pastoring that church is I never had a building program. <laughs> I, I should have, in hindsight. So a handful of you have asked, what's our vision now? What's, what's our vision right now? And others of you have said to me, I'm so thankful for the vision that we have right now. So let me, let me clarify which it is and, and how I see it. Um, and just put it in context. Over the years at Bethlehem, we've had, I mean, I, I think of these, these uh, periodic chapters of vision as more like strategic mission focused moments. I mean, they're, they're, they don't change God's biblical calling on us as a church to, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to treasure Christ above all, to love one another as Christ has loved us, and all the mutuality and discipleship and teaching that comes in that, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, making disciples of all nations. It doesn't change any of that. But we have these periodic mission focus, foci, uh, that kind of frame up a chapter of, of church life. And uh, so... Over the years, we've had several, and this is just a breeze over, just so you get a flavor. Uh, I was here in the, in the 80s when there was a vision, an outreach vision called 90 by 90 to send out 90 people into full-time Christian work, whether pastoral or missions. And by the, by the year 1990, and I think Kathy and I were number 52 and 53 in that vision of sending 
when we went to pastor the church in Iowa. And then in the, in the mid-90s, there was a vision called 2,000 by 2,000 to send 2,000 people out from Bethlehem in a similar manner. And then came the vision statement and the vision booklet from 1995, 1996. Beautiful mission statement that birthed that purpose statement for our church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ, which still serves us today. And a booklet with other implications of that for the, for the season and for the church. And then in the early 2000s, we had Treasuring Christ Together, this vision to, to not only plant a church, but plant churches, and to not only be a church downtown, but to be a church at, on the, uh, you know, multi-campus church uh, in Moundsview and in the south somewhere, is all we knew at the time. And uh, in the Treasuring Christ Together, there was also this piece called the Global Diaconate to do to raise funds to do mercy all over the world, to have compassion on people in a, in a new and a fresh way that we hadn't done before. That was Treasuring Christ Together, which still is kind of burned into me. Uh, then you could say there was an informal vision, the transition from, from Pastor John to what's Bethlehem going to be like without Pastor John Piper. And then Jason came, and then we had fill these cities so the transition uh, with Pastor John is 2013, and then three years later we had a, a vision called Fill These Cities 25 by 25, which we're still finishing, we're still in, in, in a technical sense. Four components, strengthen the core, which was round out the staff on each of the three campuses. Number two, uh, buy a north, or excuse me, buy a south campus, get that purchased and paid off, and then these two components, 25 by 25, which was... Uh, uh, a, a prayer goal that the Lord would grant us grace to engage 25 unreached people groups by the year 2025. And that has proven very, 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 very difficult. And the second 25 was to plant 25 churches by the year 2025. And uh, by my count, we're on 15. And in the transition to separate churches, I'm counting that as 16 and 17. (laughs) And now the transition to separate churches called Multiply. And, and, you know, in, in the foreseeable future, if the vote goes the way it seems to be going... Uh, will be, we'll become what we were and what we still are. Bethlehem Baptist Church of Minneapolis, Inc. Our, our name doesn't change at all. The other churches become their own separate legal entities. So, what's the unifying, essential, mission-critical, biblically-rooted vision for Bethlehem, downtown Minneapolis right now? My answer, along with the elders, is to be strengthened by grace. That's the vision. That's the vision. It's a vision to be. And from the being comes the doing. In other words, being strengthened by grace is a calling on us to be a people individually rooted in God's grace to us, in Christ, all that he's done for us, and all that God promises to be for us in Christ, that rooted in God's grace, 
we would be a community of people that give grace to one another and be, the, I, I love the image actually, be like a tree, a big strong tree, like a Psalm 1 tree, strong in grace, enduring seasons of drought and storm and trouble, bearing fruit in season, and being about that purpose statement in our doing to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. Just to make it clear, to do that mission without the being, without the grace within, without the treasure in Christ within, without the one anothering encouragement of grace to each other, it's going to be phony. It's not going to happen. So that's the vision right now. To be a people. To be strong in grace. To be a people like Lori described in her testimony. Both in, in and of herself, strong in grace. And she describes being in, in and among a people who strengthen her with the grace that they have received in Christ Jesus. So, that's, that's the current vision. That's the strategic focus. And, uh, and we will get on to strategic focuses of doing. But we are not going to skip over the essential importance of being. Being a people strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father in heaven, Help us, I pray. Help us. <laughs> we are so dependent on you for your grace to us in Christ. And grant that we would be strengthened by your grace today, by the power of the gospel and the truth of your word. And, and I pray not only for fruitful spreading in and outside the church, but that in all our fruitfulness, that it would all come from being a kind of people, strong in grace, treasuring you in and through and above all things. So we may, may, may we be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might like Ephesians 6 talks about, enabling us to spread a passion with integrity and authenticity to this city and to our neighbors and, and to the nations, even as we have encouraged one another with the grace that we've received. So empower us with hope and confidence and joy in you in all circumstances by your sufficient grace now. Keep us. Make us strong. Meet us in this message and just pray that you'd bring it about here in this local church for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So my title this morning is Strengthened by Grace Through Words. It's the fifth sermon in our series, and I draw it mainly from verse 29 that we just read from Ephesians 4. And the instruction is about how we talk, how we use our speech, how we use our words, and it, it has implications on all our conversations with each other before and after church and, and uh, all the counsel that we give to one another, any kind of correction that we would give to one another. It has implications on, on our gatherings and in our, in our groups, whether they, be, whether they be small groups or Sunday school classes or moms. 
has implications on what we write in cards and what we write in letters and emails and what we write on social media, believe it or not. The instruction here in Ephesians 4 comes within the wider context of Paul calling the the believers at the church of Ephesus to live in accord with the new life that they have received in Christ and not in accord with the old life that they were apart from Christ. Verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this, this, this word, verse 29, about how to use our mouths comes as an implication of putting on our new self, created to be after the image of God, after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. So how we use our mouths ought to reflect the glory of God. So now my aim in this message is that God would call us to be a church community in which we increasingly use our words after the likeness of God. Namely, as a means of grace to build one another up. Just drawing that out of verse 29. My aim is that this message, in, in this message, God would call each of us to be a church community in which we increasingly use our words after the likeness of God, namely as a means of grace to build one another up. Now, to do that, well, to get into that, here's how my brain went in studying this verse, verse 29. I thought, well, if our mouths are to be reflective of the likeness of God, how does God use his mouth? <laughs> that's, what, that's where my mind went. And so I, I have, my outline is really simple. Just a, a look at God. God speaks words. And then the second half of the sermon, maybe it's not the half, whatever, the second part of the sermon is we speak words. As believers, God speaks words, we speak words. God speaks words. So I'm just thinking, well, in order to climb into this call to use our words in the image of God, in the likeness of God, it would be worth a reflection, a little survey on how God uses words. (laughs) Three parts, real quickly. Creation, covenants, and Christ. First, God's word and creation. I I cannot help but pause on this divine reality of the Trinity when I think about God's word and creation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In Him, everything was made, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made. And so when God spoke, in the beginning, let there be light, 
That word came in and through the second person of the Trinity, Christ Jesus. Let there be light. And there was light. And, and God spoke into existence all the heavens and all the planets and the suns and the moons and the stars and the land and the sea and all the vegetation and all living things and even the tiniest bacteria that crawl on everything that's around us and all the bugs and fish and animals at the deepest parts of the sea that nobody can even see. He spoke and it was all created. God spoke and created mankind, male and female, in his own image, and it was very good. In the garden, God spoke to Adam and Eve, loving them and teaching them and warning them, and they disregarded his words, and all humanity fell into sin. And we know from the New Testament, from Hebrews, that all this that God created through his word is sustained by the word, Christ Jesus, as he sustains the universe by the word of his power. How does God use words? He brings out of nothing everything. He, he creates this universe for us to, for, for everything to be in and for us to flourish in. Even in the creation, there's a revelation of Himself as life giver, fullness, full. I mean, I'm running out of words. Grace. Even in creation, God speaks grace into the world and from nothing comes everything. God's word and the covenants, thought that was a good summary of the God speaking in the Old Testament. I just looked up places where God speaks. God spoke to Noah. A covenant telling him to build an ark and Noah listened. And he and his family were saved from judgment upon all the world through the worldwide flood. God spoke to Abram, establishing his covenant with him and his descendants, saying this. Here's the covenant with Abraham. Genesis 12. God speaking. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's just dripping with grace. God spoke to Jacob, establishing his covenant relationship with the people of Israel, soon to be demonstrated by saving them from famine in Egypt and saving them from slavery in Egypt and preserving them through the wilderness and bringing, him in, bringing them into the land that he promised. And God spoke to Moses, saying, that this is just grace. Moses, I am the Lord. <laughs> wow. That's grace. 
God spoke His commandments, instructing His people how to live in the obedience of faith. And, and when Moses asked, okay, you are Yahweh, you are the Lord, show me your glory, what did God do? He spoke. He spoke. I love this passage, Exodus 34. 6 and 7. This is God passing by, showing Moses his glory. This is where the cleft of the rock image comes from because God says, you can't see me and live. I'll give you a glimpse of my backside when I pass by so you get in the cleft of the rock so seeing me doesn't obliterate you. I'm so glorious. Here's the glimpse that Moses gets. Again, God's words, God speaking, his self-revelation. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and, but, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what did Moses do, trembling in the cleft of the rock? Verse 8. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. God spoke to King David, promising that one of his descendants would be the one, would be the Messiah. And he would reign over all with righteousness and peace. And of this one, this son of David, promised, God told King David, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, Saul. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. The promises of the coming Christ. I mean, I could go on, but from... From the beginning of time, God has spoken in creation, spoken in these covenants, these covenants of grace, spoken in the promised Messiah coming to save and rule in righteousness and peace. Third part, God's word and Christ Jesus. Now, when the time had fully come, God spoke in the person of the eternal Son through the incarnation of Christ to be born. The birth of Christ is the Word of God taking on flesh and becoming this God-man Jesus in order to, for God to reveal Himself to us in, in, in and through the person of Jesus the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by, his, by the word of his power. God has spoken in the coming of Christ, in the revelation of Christ. He's spoken. This word has become flesh and dwelt among us, and by means of God speaking in and through Christ Jesus, we are saved. This word made flesh comes to us as the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And in believing, by his grace, we are brought into all that God promises to be and do for us through Christ Jesus. How does God use his words? Good night. It's just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Even the warnings are grace. And the promises are grace. So I pushed back, and I, I, I went upstairs to talk to Kathy, and I said, all that we exist, I mean, all, all that exists, all that we are, all that we have today, all that we enjoy, all that we have by creation, all that we have by Christ, everything is by the Word of God. What's left? What good do we have? apart from God speaking his words to us. So, that's a glimpse at the, the image to which we are called to reflect with our words. And you've got to say, that's impossible, because <laughs> it is, but for the grace of God. So, second part, we speak words. We do. We speak words. We speak words all the time. As human beings created in the image of God, we thereby have this unique ability and power to speak words. <laughs> and think about it. <laughs> Bears growl. They don't speak words. They don't write books. Puppies whimper, bark, and growl too. They don't speak words. Lions roar. They don't speak words. Birds communicate, many of them in beautiful sounds and some of them in not so beautiful sounds like those crows. But they don't speak words. Even dolphins and whales and monkeys communicate, but they do not speak words or write words as humans do. Only human beings can speak words can destroy people, destroy the world, or build up people, give grace to people. It is, it is a fascinating thought that, I mean, it's happening right now, that I have a thought in my head, and I'm putting it into words, and that thought is showing up in your head right now. <laughs> That's that's amazing. I wish I knew, I wish I would have thought that way in, in high school English class. Just the wonder of words. 
Think about it. Our words can communicate truth and reality, both seen and unseen, and our words can communicate falsehood and insanity, unreality. Our words can communicate beauty in prose and poetry and song, and our words can communicate banality and vulgarity and obscenity. Our words create friendships and intimacy and relationships of love, and our words destroy friendships and destroy marriages and intimacy and relationships of love. Our words create partnerships and collaborations, or our words destroy partnerships and teamwork and wage war. Our words can build up one another in the faith, or our words can tear down the faith of another. So Paul writes in Ephesians 4, you know, put off that old self and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And then he goes on to explain, just verse 29, there's more we could talk about in this passage. We just don't have time to do anything but verse 29. Let No corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Teaching, so many times the teaching of the Bible is so simple, and and so many, most of the time it's impossible. (laughs) It's hard, simple, right? Speak words that give grace. Not words that are corrupt. Uh, the, the, the word corrupt is, the, is, is a word that's interesting. It's, it's a word used of rotten fruit or a decaying tree. Uh, there's a kind of speech that's like offering a hungry person a mushy, brown, worm-infested apple that you picked up off the ground. Or worse... There's a way to talk, this corrupting talk, rotten talk, decaying talk. It would be like serving up food that has bacteria in it. It's rotting. It's bad. It can do great harm. It can even kill you. Rotten food is better put out in the compost pile, just like rotten talk. But on the other hand, it's a negative positive Negative, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Positive, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When our words build up another in the faith with confidence in God and his word and in hope of God's faithfulness to us in the gospel, we give grace grace to one another. Lori did this. You just did this. You gave grace to us. Your, your words were a gift of grace to us. And when we do so with spiritual wisdom, 
to know what word needs to be said at this particular occasion, we may well find ourselves being a means of Christ's promised well-timed help to give grace in the time of need. And, and when our words build up in faith and truth and promises of the gospel, we reflect the image of God and give Him glory. It's a really simple text. So, our takeaway, my takeaway, is God help us. God help us. May our words be a means by which we strengthen one another in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. May our words be reflective of God's words to us in the gospel and impart the grace of the gospel to others. And I have to say this, that <laughs> the, the personalities get involved here. I think some, some, some of our personalities always want to be talking, and some of our personalities never want to be talking. <laughs> I just want to say, for all of us, there's a time to speak, and for all of us, there's a time to listen. So whichever you're wiring, I'm calling you to the other side. <laughs> Just think about one of the reasons. This is just one of the evidences of God's grace. Whenever we gather, whenever we gather, like on Sunday mornings, whenever we gather in the, in the commons, in the main hall, whenever we gather in small group or other kinds of groups, whenever we gather, there's this beautiful, profound opportunity and occasion for this kind of grace to just flow like every which way, uncontrollable <laughs> as God moves in and through us by His grace that we would be vessels and means of grace to one another. Two more thoughts. One is, don't think that by words that give grace that the text means that the only words that give grace are comforting and not correcting or encouraging and not exhorting. That's all part of it. Clearly, biblically speaking, there's a time and a manner for both. The tough and the tender, words for one another. Let me close with questions about the three aspects mentioned in the text. So, these three aspects are helpful. You're thinking about, okay, I would like to use my mouth according to 429 here. I'll give you three questions before you speak or write the card or communicate in another way. Ask yourself these three questions. And they're bouncing right out of the text. Will what I say build up this other believer? and this church in the faith? Or will what I say tear down? Question two. Is what I'm about to say fitting on this occasion? Or is it not the right manner or time? And question three. 
does what I'm about to say impart the grace of God to us in Christ to another? Or is what I'm about to say withholding the grace of God for us in Christ to another? Three questions right there in the text. I'll leave them with you. Father in heaven, help us. Help us, help us, help us. Oh, how I pray that we are a people being strengthened, present tense, being strengthened by your grace, day by day, moment by moment, interaction by interaction. And so, as a people, I pray that Ephesians 4.29 would all the more be brought about to, uh, into the fabric of our relationship, into, into the fabric of our church culture, that we would be a, a people whose words are just marked by giving grace to one another. So, may it be for the glory of your name at such a time as this. May we be transformed by beholding your image and how you use words, having that transform how we use words for the glory of your name here in this church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.